0: Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and today is Jobs Friday. Uh, The jobs report for the month of January 2023 came out today. And to help uh, dissect this and talk about the economy and where it's headed, I've got uh, my two co-hosts, Chris Dorides and uh, Marissa Di Natale. Hi, guys. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. And we got Dante. Dante D'Antonio, who is a regular on Jobs Friday. Good to see you, Dante. You too. You're looking uh, dapper in your Penn State uh, pullover. Thank you. Yeah, I absolutely. you went to Penn State, right? I did. Yeah, that's a great university. I love that university. I agree. Yeah, I mean, uh, all the kids that we hire from there are just fantastic. Great, great econ department. Um, and Dante, you're you're the poster child for for that. There you go. So, yeah. <laughs> do you all, right. all right can i have one of those pullovers i mean do you I, have any extra I ones or, one yeah i'll find you one. can you yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I would appreciate that Yeah, okay. yeah just just you know just saying yeah okay make that happen for you okay very good i appreciate that um uh any news this week guys uh, we got a lot of news we got a lot of
1: data Yeah, there's right? a lot of things to talk about
0: yeah we're gonna do the statistics game for sure because we got a lot of statistics this is action-packed week and we're also going to uh, answer listener questions. Uh, this is a new feature that we implemented since the beginning of the year, particularly when we don't have external guests. So uh, Marissa is going to uh, guide us through that uh, later in the podcast. But obviously, uh, here we are the morning of uh, Friday, February 3rd. Uh, the Wow, what a jobs number. I'm really, really curious as to everyone's interpretation of this number. Dante, I'm going to begin with you. You want to give us the rundown?
2: Sure. Obviously, a lot to, to unpack in the report this morning. Uh, the headline number is obviously surprising to the upside, uh, but we also got benchmark revisions on the establishment survey. We got updated population controls in the household survey. So a lot to dig through, You know, not only in the regular data, but also in sort of the extra data that we get uh, in the January reports. On the industry employment side, things were strong across the board, although I will say, you know, sort of the outsized gains were concentrated in a few places, really. Retail jumped uh, in January, professional business services sort of turned back around and leisure and hospitality you know, sort of got back to where it had been in prior months after cooling a little bit last month. Um, we also got a, a jump in government payrolls as a result of uh, strike ending and some uh, state government employees back to work. Um, outside of those, though, you know, it was sort of a, I would say, payroll gains as usual across most other industries. You know, most of those big gains were concentrated in in those four places, and so not a huge amount of of news outside of that. On the household survey side, the unemployment rate obviously ticked lower again, which was probably surprising to a lot of folks, although you know, if you sort of unpack the details after removing the effect of the the changing population controls, the household survey was was certainly weaker than the establishment side um, in January. Um, but other than that, yeah, it was obviously surprising to the upside. You know, we were expecting payroll growth to continue to moderate. And then that certainly did not happen this month, although I would consider this, you know, at this point more of an aberration than some start of a new higher, higher level trend of growth.
0: So uh, payroll employment, growth in the month of January. That's kind of the headline number that where eye goes to first. That's the first thing the Bureau of Labor Statistics says in its press release was 517,000 jobs created in the month of January. Of and uh, it, it felt like up till this report, underlying job growth, when I say underlying, I mean abstracting from the vagaries of the data was half that, maybe 250K. That's what we got in December. That was kind of sort of on a three-month moving average basis.
1: Mm-hmm. that's kind of the
0: job growth we were getting 500k 250k what's reality is it 500k is it 250k or is it something else
2: it's certainly not 500 i think the reality is higher than 250 and you, you know, do
0: with, okay
2: well with this number and the revisions to to data from you know the end of last year that you know the 3 month moving average now is more, more like 350,000 instead of 250,000 i think i think that's probably still a little bit high for what underlying growth is, but I think maybe it's closer to 300 than it is 200.
0: Hmm. There's so many things I want to talk about, but uh, with with you and unpack, because you you just laid out a cornucopia (laughs) of issues, uh, most of them very geeky. I'm sure most people who heard what you said, what the heck's he talking about? Benchmark revisions and January controls and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we'll get down and dirty with all that at some point here. Uh, But before I do that, let me turn to Marissa. Marissa, uh, fill in the gaps here. Uh, You know, what else would you say about this report?
1: It was shocking. (laughs) Stared at it for a while. Um, I have to say
0: I was eating my wheat, not my Wheaties. I was eating, I don't think anyone eats Wheaties anymore, but it was kind of Wheaty-like cereal. Mm -hmm with my waba coffee and uh i did i did Spit have to stop <laughs> i had to stop <laughs> and, I, and then i i hit refresh you know maybe yeah. cuz i'm yeah. on the wrong page or something you know refresh <laughs> uh, but
1: no yeah okay, i mean it looks like a jobs report from early 2021 right when we yeah, were we were good. getting gains of half a million jobs a month um yeah i mean i think dante summed it up it's it's broad-based on the payroll side. There's You have to go really into the industry detail to find any industries that actually lost jobs on net over the month. The household survey is really difficult because we can't really compare January to other months other than December, the BLS provided a table that lets us look at some of the very top line household survey numbers in comparison. The unemployment rate at 3.4%, that's the lowest unemployment rate we've ever seen since 1969. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's very strong, but on the other hand, we got a lot of other strong jobs data this month, which was mostly for the month of December, but, you know, jolts was good. I mean, we'll. I'm sure we'll talk about this too. You know, jolts was really good
0: job opening labor turnover survey.
1: Yep. Um, the UI claims fell yet again. I mean, so there's no reason to think it wouldn't be a strong jobs report, but to this magnitude, I don't think anyone was expecting it.
0: Well, we certainly weren't, we were doing a poll last night via email. I was on the high side. I thought, wasn't I, I was at yeah, you picked the
1: over on, you know, 250 or whatever we were yeah, Chris was at, on the right.
0: low side, 190, the bear. And where were you, Dante? I can't remember. 220. 220. And where were you, Marissa? 220. 220. <laughs> okay. Okay. So 250, I mean, it was double even the high for what I expected. Uh, okay. I mean, uh, there were, it felt like everything was boomy in the report, right? Yeah. It yeah. was not only a payroll gain, it was the revisions, Upward in previous months. It was uh it was um hours worked. Did you mm-hmm. see that? I mean yeah. number of hours because that had been trending lower and was yes. quite low and now just boom, right back up. Temp jobs going back to professional services, that's where temp jobs are temp jobs were declining, and that typically is a leading indicator of future broad based weakness in job growth. That that rebounded in the month, you know, that that uh increased. Uh we saw Unemployment decline. Uh, you're right. I guess one point you made, Dante, about the household employment increase. That was large. That was 700,000 jobs in household employment. That's a survey of households, the other survey uh, that the BLS conducts and releases data for. You're saying that was overstated because of of uh, this this uh, control to popula- new population estimates that, that they do every January.
2: Right. And they don't go back and revise the previous year. So you get this, you know, sort of break John. between December and January. Yeah. Yeah. But there was
1: help. also a really big gain in December, November to December, which you can compare. That was like seven hundred thousand as well in the in the household survey.
0: If you control for the if you abstract from the population control issue you just mentioned, what would have the number been? Do you know?
1: Eighty four thousand. Okay. So
0: That's much more pedestrian. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, but on top of you're saying uh, Marissa, this 700k in December. Yeah. Okay. Right. So even even And that's comparable. That's comparable, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um okay. Uh Chris, Chris what do you make of the report? It's confusing. <laughs> confusing. <laughs>
3: right? Just, mm-hmm. It is shocking. Um it does point to strength, right? And you know, but do we buy the the number at face value? I don't think so, right? Uh because of all these uh, other issues here, but it, every indication is that the uh, labor market was even stronger in 2022 than we originally anticipated or originally thought and remains quite vibrant. So,
0: okay. Okay. Let me, uh, like I'm want to do, push back uh, sure. on two fronts. Uh, and and here, let me level set by saying it does feel like the labor market is. Still strong. It's, yeah. it's resilient, uh, and that's most evident in the lack of layoffs. I mean, yeah, we're getting a, now, a lot of corporate announced layoffs, and maybe they'll start to come through, and you know, in the uh, in the data, the aggregate data we get on unemployment insurance claims and everything else down the road. But it hasn't so far, and layoffs in total remain very, very low. So that, and we should come back and talk about what's going on there and why that's the case. But, but uh, to level said, it, it's clear the labor market is strong. But I don't think it's anywhere near as strong as the data suggests for, for two broad reasons. And I'm going to throw out one and then we'll talk, talk about it in the second. The first is it feels like there's all kinds of seasonal adjustment issues all over this report. Uh, that, you know, uh, I believe January was this January was, and this, of course, is the employment report for January, was the fifth warmest on record. Right. So if you have a warm month, a very warm month in a month that typically, obviously, is very cold and economic activities depressed, when you seasonally adjust, when you try to account for that seasonality, the Bureau of Labor Statistics adds in jobs to account for that seasonality, you get an outsized gain like the one we got, particularly in the sectors you mentioned, Dante. It feels like you mentioned retail, uh, leisure hospitality, maybe even temp jobs. I'm not sure. So does that and also, just to add to that, the, no, another layer of complication. there probably is some seasonal adjustment problems related to the impact the pandemic had, you know, back three years ago, when we shut down, everyone got thrown out of work, we reopened, everyone came back to work and get these big swings in the data and to uh, as a result, when you use the tech season the uh, statistical techniques to tease out the seasonal, uh, factors, the, the seasonality of the data, gets very complicated to do. I'm sure the BLS has got techniques to try to work around that, but nonetheless, I'm sure it's complicating things enormously. So it just feels like seasonal measurement issues are all over the report. Uh, is, am I off base here, Dante?
2: Yeah. Can I push back on your pushback a little yeah, bit? Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. Sure. I, yeah. I saw a few people mention seasonality this morning, so I didn't have a chance to get into the industry detail, but just at a top level it doesn't really look like there's a whole lot sort of funky going on with seasonal adjustments. I mean, January is an unusual month in that, you know, on an unadjusted basis, employment declines by a huge amount every yeah. January like clockwork, you know, it's usually between two and a half million and three million jobs lost on an unadjusted basis. Um, and then seasonal adjustment obviously corrects that, um, the decline on an unadjusted basis in January this year was the smallest that we had since 1995, which, sort of fits with your story about, you know, it was a warm January, so we got yeah. a few job losses. Right. That all makes sense, but the the seasonal adjustment factor was not unusually large. And if anything, it was actually smaller than it's been in the last few Januaries. Um, so if you look at like the difference between the, the adjusted data and the unadjusted data, the impact that seasonal adjustment had this year was actually the smallest that it had been since, I think 2015. Um, So it's not that there was an outsized impact. I mean, you could argue that maybe the factor was still too big, even though it is a bit smaller than it's been recently. I mean, so maybe there's something there, but it certainly doesn't stand out as a glaring issue like we had seen in some months, you know, sort of in the earlier days of the pandemic. And I think January in particular was not ever hugely impacted by the initial pandemic swing, obviously, because the biggest changes happened sort of after January in 2020. And then by the time we got to 2021, things had normalized sort of, you know, so like the, the, unadjusted declines for January don't look all that unusual, even as you look back through the pandemic years.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, but you know, like, here's another example, difficulty around seasonal adjustment. So we know that uh, people bought early for this past Christmas, they seem to be out there shopping in October, you know, maybe a little bit in November and they had stopped shopping in December, right? So that means less hiring in December, which means therefore less layoffs in the retail sector, less layoffs in, in January. And that would on a seasonally adjusted basis cause the January retail numbers to come in strong because we know retail employment's been pretty consistently weak, losing jobs. Right. And then all of a sudden you get this big increase in January. It just doesn't, doesn't fit. It feels, I I know what you're saying, but it feels seasonal to me. No. I'm not saying it's not possible, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay.
1: You got to be careful with retail this month. The another yeah. thing that they did this month that we haven't mentioned yet is that they reclassified all the industries in the oh. in on the establishment survey. Right. And it was an it was a much bigger than normal reclassification. It affects 10% of employment. They move stuff around and they specifically call out retail as one of the industries that's most affected by this reclassification. So I would take that big retail gain with a grain of salt, mm. not only because of what you're saying about seasonality, which I think could be true, but also because of this re- reclassification mm-hmm. is mucking things up as well. Got it. Got it.
0: Chris, Chris, uh, you were going to say something there or were you just going to... I was going to point out the NAICS. Next... Oh, I see. issue, the shift so. in industries. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, here's the other uh, pushback. Uh, we know that uh, uh this data that we're observing now will be revised right and and the, the weird thing is in jan in it, with the january report every year there's a so-called benchmark revision where the employment data the payroll employment data the data based on uh surveys of businesses uh it's a survey of a sample of businesses a large sample but it's not the universe and every january with the January data, the Bureau of Labor Statistics goes back and so-called benchmarks the survey-based data to actual employment counts based on unemployment insurance records. So every company, small, large, has to file with the UI office how many people are working for them. And that's a complete count And every January, with every January report, they benchmark. But that, that benchmark is March of 2022. So it's already feels like way in the distance. And we do know that uh, based on other more recent data from unemployment insurance records, that uh, the next benchmark revision, the one we get next gen- for the next January report, probably in all likelihood will show a pretty significant downward revision in all of the employment growth that we've experienced, at least going back to March of 2022. And that probably will affect th- this number as well. So- you know, and it, those revisions look like they could be quite significant, right? I mean, you know, we, 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 the Q2 data on a, based on unemployment records show a very weak job market. I mean, the Bureau, the um, Business Employment Dynamics Survey, which came out last week, which is, you know, using Q2 data from last year, that showed an actual decline in employment in the second quarter. So I don't think it's going to decline, but nonetheless, it's making a point that all this data is going to be revised down. Does that, is that right? Did I explain that right? Do I have that right, uh, Dante? And does that color your perspective on your, 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 your statement that underlying job growth is 300k?
2: It's certainly right for Q2 of 2022. We don't have, you know, that hard count of data beyond Q2 at this point. So I would, you know, that could obviously reverse course in the second half of the year, potentially in the, in the QCW once we get it. So, you know, Yeah, I think Q2 certainly was weaker than what we saw initially, but I don't know that I would sort of lock that in to say that the rest of 2022 was also weaker than what we saw. I don't think that's a guarantee at this
0: point. Okay, what do you think, Chris? Or sorry, Mercy, you're going to. There's
1: some. I mean, there is evidence that that certainly the job market weakened in the summer, but then strengthened again. We were looking at UI claims trended up; they were above 260,000 in July, and then they started coming down again. So that's that is consistent with a weaker Q2, but we don't really know beyond as as Dante said, Q2. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: There,
3: there are just so many cross currents here.
0: It's hard yeah. to hard to just And
3: I got uh I have to say, ADP. I don't know what's going on there, but uh oh,
0: that, that, was weak. That, that was my thinking.
3: That closed my thinking.
0: Yeah. It was well, that very came in at a hundred thousand, right? Or something close to a hundred thousand for the month of January. And that just a level said ADP yeah. is a private payroll processing company, they construct their own estimates of employment gains in in the month uh, based on their records, and they showed a small gain, 100K gain, I think roughly. And yeah. that's private sector, it doesn't include government, but even sure. if you threw in government, it would be 150K, let's say. So much, much weaker than, that's well below the consensus even uh, kind of number. Yeah. So that's right. that colored your-, that, that colored your... I, I put too much weight on that, so- Oh yeah no uh, but Dante I forgotte will tell you Dante will tell you firsthand not to put much weight <laughs> on that <clears laughs> right looks yeah. like they, they cited the, bad, like weather. Huh? They said, decided so. bad weather huh they said it cited bad weather oh that's right which also oh yeah that's right they did maybe because of the storms up in uh in, in New York the Buffalo storm that Buffalo storm in the in the survey week or something oh it could be but. yeah, it could be yeah, okay well the, okay um. Uh, There were a couple things in the report that were more, uh, I guess, positive and negative is kind of all warped now because, you know, at any time when you, in the past, you said 500K jobs, unemployment, three, four, you go, woohoo, that's good good news. (laughs) Uh, But in the current context, it's a little disconcerting because it means that, you know, the labor market's tight and that uh, that would put, more pressure on the federal reserve to continue to raise interest rates. And if they continue to raise interest rates at some time, at some point the economy is going to break and you go into recession. So you, 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 we want, we don't want to, we want the labor market to cool off here uh, and uh, give the fed reason to stop raising rates sooner rather than later. And if you took this data, most of it at face value, you'd say, Oh, the fed's going to keep raising rates. And we'll come back to that in just a second. But the a couple things in the report were more consistent with the Fed being should be a little bit uh, uh, more likely to take its foot off the brakes here, or at least not keep pressing on the brakes as strong. And one was average hourly earnings, right? I mean, yep. uh, if you take a if if I asked a, a Federal Reserve board member, you know, to rank order all the statistics in the report in terms of what's important in terms of their thinking about monetary policy and interest rates, I don't know if they put average hourly earnings at the top of the list because it's got its own measurement issues beyond seasonal adjustment. But it would be pretty close to the top of the list at this point, because that's the key link between what's going on in the job market and inflation, right? Because you know, higher, wages, higher wage growth affects costs of doing business for service-based companies, and they pass that along in the form of higher prices for their services, healthcare, hospitality, education, that kind of thing. So the one positive, meaningfully positive thing in the report was average hourly earnings. Uh, that came in um, modestly, right? I mean, I think year over year was 4.4%. Month to month, annualized, it was three, three and a half percent, which is pretty close to you know where you'd want it uh, if, to be consistent with two percent inflation. Do I have anyone uh, have a different perspective on that, or want to add some color to that? Any any perspectives on it? Chris? Do you have anything else to add to that?
3: Uh, I agree with you. I think, uh, and we'll get to the Fed. I think, but uh, yeah, they're all uh, concerned about the wage implications. But they but Powell cited the unemployment rate, right? The the actual state of the labor market, jobs. As a primary factor that he's watching, so no, I right. think it's good that the, this is supportive and uh, could lead to a, a decision to to moderate. But I don't think that's the case. I think they're they're still gung ho because of the the strength labor market. Even if you uh, revise down the 500k, I think that's still going to point to the case to uh, to raise.
0: Well, let me ask you, Chris, I asked Dante what he thought underlying job growth was, again, abstracting from the vagaries and measurement issues in the data. What do you think it is? What is underlying job growth? Yeah.
3: So before I saw the report, right, I yeah. thought it was 200K, right?
0: 200K. Okay. Yeah. Something like Yeah. Well, so was... now what do you think?
3: I still think I still think that's the case. I want to 200k that I'm okay. right and this will yeah. be revised. But... This will be revised, right. Yeah, but uh, okay. again, I'm discounting data because it doesn't meet my narrative. So, okay. Yeah.
0: Well, it's on, sometimes you got to do that because, you know, and this is an economist now speaking to you with 30 years of experience. Every Once a year, maybe once every two years, you get a wacko report that this is out of bounds and it is out of bounds. It has, you know, it, it's not reality. It's just the vagaries of the data and you have to discount it. So there are times when you have to discount, you know, yep. what you're seeing because- they're they're their measurement problems. So I'm discounting this. You're discounting the yield curve. I think we're even, right? Okay, very good. Yeah. No one understand few people understood what that meant, but I did. It's an that was inside. Joke. That was like a dagger. Oh. Into the belly. <laughs> we can come back to that. So so Marissa, same question. What is underlying job
1: growth in your mind? I think it's around 250. 250. Yeah. Um Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Okay, very good. I don't know what else to say. Okay, well that's fair. Yeah,
0: Uh, yeah. That's my view. I think it's I think it's 250k uh, with a bias lower because I do think we are going to get downward revisions to this data uh, when it all comes in. It it would be very weird for Q2 of last year to be weak and then for things to bounce right back up. You know, yeah, it'll it might bounce, but it's not going to bounce that much. So I think we'll get some pretty meaningful downward revisions to the data. So do you no. discount the jolts data? I guess this is everyone as well. And the, the
1: UI claims data?
0: And
3: the, no, oh, no, 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 uh, no, no, I job openings.
1: No. Well, the unfilled positions,
0: I, I don't know what to make of that. I don't. Yeah. I discount that. I, but you know, I think it's very clear layoffs are are extraordinarily low. I think that's, that's, that's evident in the jolts. That's evident in the UI claims. That's, you know there are seasonal adjustment issues with that data too so we got to be careful with the ui claims week to week there are seasonal issues but but you know it does even with that it, it, you know we're to around 200k in ui claims each week that that is really low yeah. that is really low
1: and in today's jobs report if you look at the composition of the duration of unemployment again i know this is a little bit skewed by the pop controls potentially but the share of people that were unemployed for less than five weeks so this is very recently unemployed people right people that just lost their job it fell quite a bit so oh, it's consistent right? yeah, yeah. F- consistent with lower ui claims right
0: yeah so i i do think the job market is strong there's no doubt about it and resilient <clears throat> uh, of course like most things i at the, i'm looking at it through a glass half full kind of perspective and that is, the lack of layoffs is a reason to be optimistic that the economy will not go into recession. Mm-hmm. I, I Again, we talked about this in the past. I, I have a hard time thinking that the economy goes into recession if we don't have layoffs. A lot of layoffs. I mean, 300 K in UI claims per week, not 200 K in UI claims per week. so we're we're a long way from that. So that to me, is, you know, coming through loud and clear. I think we are seeing moderation in job growth, not because of layoffs, but because of just less hiring. I think businesses are hiring less. And here's how I would square the JOLTS data. Curious to hear uh, what you think about this. Uh, Quits are still elevated. People are still quitting their jobs. Uh, When a person quits their job, that generally creates an unfilled position. Most companies will not eliminate that position, at least not quickly. Uh, That sits there as an unfilled position. But if I'm reducing my hires, I'm just slow walking hiring and I'm just not hiring as aggressively because I'm nervous about sales and I don't want to lay off workers because I know I'm going to need them down the road, but that's different than not hiring and filling open job positions. I'm just taking my time to fill open job positions. You could get what you observed in the JOLTS data, right? Elevated quits, elevated unfilled positions weaker hires and overall job growth that's that's still strong again, it's still strong but moderate does that does that resonate with folks? Yes yeah, yeah. it's just that the the job openings are soft. they're not
3: hard openings.
0: They're not hard yeah <laughs> or, or they're temporary or you know it takes a month or two or three to, to work them through uh, or it's a, a free option, right Why not? Have yeah posted? there's no cost to it, right? If someone comes around <laughs> right And why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you keep the open position? Right. Yeah, I mean,
3: especially given this uncertainty. Right. If we if we don't go into recession, then you're going to need to ramp up quickly.
0: Also, you know, I'm speaking as part of a large multinational organization with a big HR department, which fantastic HR department. (laughs) Let me just level just make that clear. I I love the HR department, but you know, uh, you don't you don't. If you think what we're going through is relatively temporary and it's not going to be that severe, and I think that's generally the case, you don't want to shut down your HR function, right? Because if you shut down your HR function, it is incredibly painful to get it back up and running again. You got to hire HR people. You got to train HR people. You got to get them going again. You got to get them collecting resumes again. Just stopping the process of HR uh, hiring uh, is uh, that's a big deal. That's a big deal in, in, in most big companies. Uh, so I, I just, I don't think big companies are doing that. They're saying, Hey, t- Hey guys, t- take your time. Don't hire, you know, this quarter, let's see what the next quarter looks like, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but you know, we're not going to take those unfilled positions down. We still want to see the resumes, right? Maybe we do want to do some soft interviews and take our time here, but we don't want to shut this thing down. That's what, that's what it feels like to me, you know, at this point. So except, thanks.
1: oh, Sorry, ex. I, so I agree with that characterization. I think I think you have to look beyond job openings, right? It's it's what our our company is actually hiring people. So to say that hiring is like has weakened quite a bit, it has since the beginning of 2022. But well, let me
0: put it this way: all of the adjustment in the labor market is less hires. We know job growth is slowed. That's right. Right, it has slowed. We yep. were. We were 5, 600k a year ago. I don't know what the underlying trend is. Let's say you said 250, that sounds about right to me. So we have slowed. We know you, we know layoffs are very, very low relative to pre-pandemic. In jolts, in UI, they're very low. The, all of the adjustment that's occurred so far is hires. That's where the adjustments occurred. Mm-hmm. You know all, the, all of it's been higher. So and again, to me, that feels like the most graceful way for the labor market to adjust. I mean, a way that would help us, you know, avoid an outright economic downturn. Yeah. Any other?
2: The one other note on Joltz that I thought was interesting, I thought it was maybe just, you know, sort of a, a weird data point at the time, but, and I think like you, I, I discount the level of job openings at this point, you know, sort of, if, you know, it's not a good comparison to pre-pandemic, but that big increase that happened in December was almost entirely concentrated in retail and leisure hospitality openings across every other industry were basically flat or even slightly down. And the big jump was in those two industries. And that aligns with what we saw in terms of a jump in actual job gains in retail and leisure hospitality. Again, it doesn't guarantee that it's right, but it does you know, sort of give an extra data point to say that maybe demand did pick up a little bit in retail and leisure hospitality You know, at the end of the year, sort of more than we would have expected.
0: So are you saying, I, I kind of missed that. So are you saying uh, a, a bulk of the unfilled positions are in leisure and hospitality?
2: The increase in December, right? We saw that oh, big opening in December. Opening oh, in December okay. and it was entirely captured in retail and leisure hospitality.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. Um. Okay. So, so all right. So you're sitting at the Fed, uh, you know, obviously uh, looking at all this data, trying to figure it out and trying to digest it and make a decision around what it means for the conduct of monetary policy. What do you do with this? Do you... Well, how how do you handle this? What do you think about this? Chris, what do you think?
3: What do we do or what does Jay Powell do?
0: What does Jay Powell do?
3: Well, we know, okay. Christopher
0: Waller or Lael Brainerd, or, you know, what do they do with it?
3: Yeah. So I'm asking because, you know, there's what you might think they should do in theory, but versus what they've already declared that they will do. And I think they they raise, right? 4.4% on the average hourly earnings while Mm -hmm. improving still too high right so um i think they'll they'll continue to uh to step on the brake
0: yeah so uh i think the markets the financial markets are now anticipating i think even even uh, interestingly enough i think the markets the equity market the bond market futures market for fed funds is kind of in the camp we're sort of in that yeah maybe it shows the the labor market's more resilient than we thought but i Discount it big, big time, right? Because stock market's down, bond yields are up, but not a lot compared That's to crazy. where they were. Yeah. So the, the markets seem to be saying, hey, this is not that big a deal. Uh, 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 at least in terms of what it means for monetary policy. So it feels like the markets are still saying a quarter point, another quarter point rate hike in in March. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, are they starting to discount one now in May as well? Uh, Yes, but before this report, they they were saying um, uh, just one more in in March.
3: I think they're split. But they're split. It, okay, and anyway, it moves around. Yeah. a lot. So. so is that
0: would would that be consistent with your kind of if you were on the Fed, you were you would be would you concur with that one more maybe quarter point in March, another quarter point in May, and and see what ha- pause at that point and see what happens.
3: Yeah. So I, I think the market is right here in terms of yeah March is almost guaranteed, I would say. Um, And then uh, the next May would be dependent on what the data shows between now and then. So that 50-50 split probably makes sense too. But yeah, pause. But I I think the market might be wrong, or some market participants may be uh, wrong in the sense that they're anticipating these cuts at the end of the year.
0: Yeah, I don't see it. So. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, so what you're referring to is that if you look at the futures for Fed funds, the rate the Fed controls, they have the rate going up to around five, and then and then uh, staying there for maybe the first half of the year, and then starting to come back down mm-hmm. in the second half of the year, going into 2024. And you're saying, right. of course, the Fed's telling them that's crazy. We're not going to do that. And you're saying that doesn't make sense to you either. That that yeah. that doesn't. Or yeah. they're
3: challenging the Fed. I, I guess yeah. they must be assuming that uh, inflation will be coming in much faster uh, than it's or they're anticipating recession. Right. But,
0: right. Right. Yeah. What do you think, Marissa?
1: If you were on the Fed, how I wouldn't, would you digest all this? I wouldn't like this report, but yeah. um Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's certainly and in the, the the minutes from the the meeting the other day, you know, they Chair Powell said, we're pretty much definitely going to keep raising rates. He did not indicate a pause. Um, They're certainly going to raise in March, I think. Um, And yeah, I think it's just really data dependent. See what we get on the CPI and um, the other, you know, the February jobs report will come out before they meet again. So I I think they're just Mm -hmm. taking it report by report here. Yeah. But yeah. I would be I would be a little confused by today certainly.
0: Yeah, like everyone else. Dante, if you were on the fed, any
1: yeah, How do you think about I, all this? I think the
2: best thing is that they can essentially ignore this report, right? I mean because they have so much other data coming before they before they meet again. So I think that's a good thing. I'm glad this report didn't come a week before the next meeting, you know, where they have to sort of use this as their only point to to determine off of. So, you know, we can hope that February turns back closer to trend and sort of gives them sort of more of the same story we'd been seeing at the end of last year, as opposed to sort of what we saw today.
0: And uh, I totally agree with, with that. Uh, And that's what I tweeted, right, Dante ignore this report. yeah.
2: Yeah. Although At I don't, think, I don't think that's what you were uh, or I think you were saying ignore it because you didn't believe it not because it doesn't matter to the Fed I think is what you
0: Oh said. yeah 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 I didn't yeah I, I well I I, dis, I discount it because I do think there's all kinds of measurement issues going on here and I yeah. it's one of again it's one of those reports that happens every once a year or twice a year where it's just you know it happens and it gets washed out in subsequent data and I totally agree with you Thank goodness it happened two days after the Fed met m- met because now they've got, as Mercer pointed out, a have bun- They got at least one more jobs number and two consumer price inflation reports between now and then that they can digest. To set help set policy at the at the May meeting. But uh, but I would I do agree with you, Chris, that at least a, a May incre- uh, a March increase, I should say, the next meetings in March. Another, the one in May, I I. I, I say that's 50 50. I'm, yeah. I, I may mean, I agree with the markets there. I, I can see well, that's data dependent and then they sit and wait and I just don't see them cutting rates later in the year. I just don't see that. That would require a recession, I think. And I, and I just don't see the, you know, yeah. kind of a recession that would cause them to do that. Okay. We let's agree. play the game. The statistics. <laughs> What's that? We agree. We agree. Wow. On no recession no well, oh wait, wait whoa, whoa. yeah <laughs> that's uh, taking a little too far okay we'll come back to that we'll come yeah. back to them let's play the game the statistics game uh and the game is we all put forward a statistic uh, the rest of the group tries to figure it out with uh, questions and and clues and deductive reasoning the best question is one that's not so easy we get it immediately not so hard uh, that uh, we never get it and of course uh, if it's apropos to the topic at hand or recent data, that would be a bonus. So with that, uh, I think, uh, as I said last uh, podcast, it's tradition to start with Marissa. So Marissa, you're up. What's your statistic?
1: Okay. My statistic is plus 440% in January.
0: Plus 440%. Is it in the jobs data, jobs report? No. Okay. Uh, Is it in a report that came out this week? Yes. (laughs) It's an economic statistic. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Is it in, uh, it's not completely fair, but is it in the JOLTS report, the Job Opening Labor Turnover Survey Report? It is not. No. Okay. 440%. Guys, Uh, is it a price, uh, some kind of price measure? No. No. Uh, Is it a labor market measure? Yes, it is. Oh, it is a labor market All right. Okay. Is it in the UI claims? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> she she's dug deep into the bowels of some labor market report. It's in
2: the ECI.
0: Oh, ECI, employment no, cost index. No. no, it's not. That's came out. This way. Ooh. Uh, labor market related an employment employment is in week. one of the a sur- uh, manufacturing, you know, one of the regional manufacturing surveys? No, it's not.
3: Hmm. Should we know
0: this? Should we know this? Yes. <laughs> is it is it really something that we should know? Y- you know it.
1: It's labor market related. Yeah. It came out this week. Yeah. It is covered by us in real time on Economic View.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh. All right, Dante. It is not a
1: statistic we typically pay much attention to or talk about,
0: though. I see. Dante, Dante do you I'm have any or I? No, she said, no, she said, no, not Shall ECI. Shall I just tell you?
1: Is
2: it something from the conference board?
1: No. no. The conference
0: board survey of confidence came out this week. Um, goodness, are we going to be embarrassed when you tell oh, us? I don't think so. You're talking
1: about job cuts. Challenger, challenger. the challenger
0: report. report. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 that, yeah, that's a good one.
1: Yeah, so this is the percent increase over the year in the number of announced layoffs in January. So the number of announced layoffs was about 103,000 in January. And um, that compares, if you just look a month prior, that compares to 44,000 in December. So according to Challenger, there was a huge uptick in the number of announced layoffs in January. And, And that's the largest January reading since 2009, when we were coming out of the financial crisis.
0: So over hundred K and what was the average kind of average monthly increase in 2022? I felt like it was
1: yeah, it was like 30,000 a month ish.
0: Yeah. And of course there's a lot of tech. Uh, I guess healthcare I saw.
1: Yeah. It like was, um, maybe. it was retail finance, mm-hmm. healthcare were the biggest um, mm-hmm. uh, actually the largest contributor was tech. Yeah. They had, mm-hmm. they announced And this is announced, right? So this is an actual people being laid off 42,000 layoffs in tech in the first month of the year. And that was like 40% of all of the announced layoffs.
0: Right. That's a good one. Um, So uh, how do you square that number with the very low layoff totals in the jolts and the very low unemployment insurance claims? How do you square all that?
1: I... Think that the job market is so strong that people are being laid off, Mm. but they're being rehired somewhere else very quickly. We talked about this a little bit on the last podcast, but if you look at the labor force flows in the household survey, so you can look at the people that people's status from month to month following the same people the number of people that are remaining on un- remaining employed from month to month is trending higher and is elevated from you know where it was if you go back to eight, 2018 tw- 2019 so not only are people keeping jobs at a higher pace if they are getting laid off they're finding work really quickly probably so quickly that they're not even filing unemployment insurance claims Um, And I was going to say, if you look at the details of the payroll survey in January, you do see see declines in banking, declines in the information services. You know, if you go under the Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. super sector level, so that is consistent with these layoff announcements, right? That there are net job losses in some of these very detailed industries, but the rest of the job market is so strong. I just think people are becoming employed again very quickly.
0: Could it also That's be a, a case- Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. I was wondering on those layoff announcements,
3: I've, I've, this is always nagged me. Uh, are they, do we know that those are primarily or exclusively US-based or could it be, if Microsoft says we're going to lay off 10,000 people and they're in India, right? Does that get captured in this uh, layoff data or-
1: I think it could because they do say that they, um, so they, the way challenger does it is they, I I guess they see an announcement in the news Mm -hmm. or something or in a warn notice and they verify it with the company, but the layoff could be either at a specific site or it could just be attributed to where the corporate headquarters are and they don't make that distinction. So you see a lot of layoffs, for example, in this report, you see a lot of them in New York, the Bay area, Seattle. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's where the people are being laid off. So I think it could be Uh outside the U.S. I S I don't know, Dante, do you know?
2: Yeah, I don't know for sure. I, I'm guessing they don't have any way to sort of guarantee that it doesn't happen. My guess is you know, if there's any specificity in the announcements, then obviously they'll take account of that. But yeah, I don't think there's any way they can guarantee that it doesn't bleed over into
3: I Yeah, know. I think generally you just give a number right in those corporate announcements. Right.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Could it also be case, the case, and this is a more pessimistic perspective or optimistic, depending on your point of view, but could it be that it's just a matter of time? That it you know it takes time for these announced layoffs to actually be implemented, and then because of severance issues, maybe it doesn't show up in the UI claims right away. You know, it just takes time for it to filter through. And this is year end, beginning of the next year. That's when corporations kind of t- tend to make these big changes, and then it takes a few months for it to kind of show up in the data. Is that is that a possibility?
1: I think it's a possibility, yeah. but we've we've now been hearing about massive, at least in the headlines, right? We've been hearing about massive layoffs, particularly in tech for, I don't know, it seems like maybe six months, four mm-hmm. to six months now, right? So you would think that certainly the, many, many people have been laid off. So we would be seeing it in the data, I think by now,
4: mm-hmm. it
1: could be gathering momentum. They could be getting bigger and eventually they'll become so big that these people can't be absorbed very quickly. Um, but and we yeah, did see and a that, little
2: bit of an uptick in UI claims back in November when the sort of like the first wave of tech layoffs were announced, it, it was not big, you know, they never got above 230,000, 240,000 and it pretty quickly came back down. So I do think, you know, over the next couple of weeks we could see claims come again, they're below 200,000 now. So I think certainly yeah. come back up a bit, but I, you know, I still don't think I've seen enough happen that would you know cause them to spike above 240, 250.
0: Right. Right. Okay. All right, Dante, you're up. What's your statistic?
2: Uh, between two, I'm going to go with minus five thousand.
0: Minus five thousand. Is it in today's jobs report? It is. Okay.
1: Is it in industry? It is not.
0: Uh, is it in the payroll side of the survey or the households? Or I should say, I I should ask: Is it in the payroll side of the survey? No. It's in the household side. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So some something in the household awesome. employment survey fell by 5,000 jobs?
2: Not jobs, no.
0: No, not jobs. Ooh. Have, okay. you,
1: have you adjusted this for the population control?
0: <laughs> yes, it has
2: been adjusted for population controls.
0: Okay. It's, it's something in the labor force. Yes. Yes.
2: Change in the labor force if you adjust for population
0: oh, control. Right. So,
2: you know, the, the oh. published change is very large, but they're saying all of that change is due to the shift in population controls. If you take that adjustment out, they, they estimate the labor force actually shrank slightly uh, in January.
0: Uh, so it was down, the labor force in, it contracted by, it was basically flat in the basically, month of but, you know, December. Yeah.
2: We have obviously seen pretty strong labor force growth here
0: in recent Yeah. Months.
2: So, and again, you know, it's one, one number, it could be an anomaly, but certainly that would not be a positive sign for how things are going to go. Can
0: I ask though, and you may not know the answer to it because you haven't done the calculation, but if I look at year over year on the population adjusted, uh, population control adjusted labor force, what that number, what that increase is. Because I, looking at the unadjusted, I saw 250, almost 300,000 per month. You know, it's 2.6 million divided by 12. I guess that would make it less than, that would be like 230,000 per month in labor supply. So, but you don't know what that number is. You, you didn't know, do that calculation. They,
2: only, they don't publish like a fully adjusted back year. You know, they just do that one Oh, that's month. right. They only it's, adjust the Yeah,
0: but if I, if I take that 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 number adjusted for the population control and compare it to what it was a year ago, that wouldn't be fair to do. You couldn't do that. I mean, it feels like you could do that, right? Give you give you underlying a sense of the underlying growth in the labor force.
2: Well, you can still look at within 2022. Obviously, the yeah. you know, underlying trend labor force growth is still very strong, right? Yeah. Okay.
4: Negative right.
2: here in January that doesn't flip the script of you know what we have seen for the last year, but certainly you know if we get more readings of sort of flat-ish labor force growth, that's going to make it tough to to keep things going. I would think.
0: Right yeah because i have taken some solace in the strong labor force growth labor supply as labor supply so labor demand is strong i and i i concur i think underlying labor demand job growth is 250k per month that's what it feels like to me and that was pretty close to what i thought underlying labor force growth was so i take some encouragement in that which means if demand and supply are roughly equal to each other the labor market's not getting any tighter it's not it's not easing up but it's not getting any tighter and i took some, some souls in that. Yeah. yeah
2: and I think that's, I think that's still the right you know way of thinking about it until we, you know, unless we get more sort of downbeat readings on the labor force.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Chris, what's your statistic?
2: All right. This one's easy, but it's important.
0: Nope. <laughs> easy. Whoa, whoa. It's easy, <laughs> but important. Yes. Okay. Yes. Is so it 3.4%? You
3: know, <laughs> no, it's three. It is 3%.
0: <laughs> that's the unemployment rate for No. Uh, three oh, percent.
1: It's the um, it's employment in the ECI.
0: In the ECI, is nope. it? No, 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 no. no. Is <laughs> no. it in the labor market? Is it in today's jobs? I guess numbers? it's not that. No, it's easy. just embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now it's just embarrassing. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not in the uh labor market report. Uh, it's not the employment report. right? Three percent. Uh oh, I think I know what it is. Oh, you're saying it's not in the labor market report? I was going to case three. Okay, so. Uh, is it I a labor
1: to, market statistic?
0: It is uh, no, <laughs> not really.
1: It is no,
3: but it was. <laughs> it is well, oh. was it released this week? It, it is kind of well, maybe it is. Yeah, it is. It is a labor related statistic. It's well, not really. It, how can the answer to that question wage? be
0: so hard? I mean, either it's not it, is wages or it is
3: or employment,
0: but. it's not wages or uh, employment. Uh, three percent. Was it in the jolts? Nope, uh, because you said it was labor market related. No, uh, um,
2: it's kind of labor, but he's not sure. It's like...
0: <laughs> everything is, is it labor a
1: statistic market. that was released this past week? Yeah,
0: yes,
3: and uh, Dante knows it.
1: Oh,
0: because it's on, We covers it on EV. He probably writes the oh, r- no, the I, oh,
3: I don't know that he covers it on EV, but um, uh, we uh, discussed I it, it in the past, like it's one that. of our
0: uh, debates. oh, goodness.
2: Uh, uh, oh and, productivity growth yes oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah i you know i like this jobs report like I, i'm just discounting. Uh, probably not a believable number so i've I put it out of my mind
0: uh, uh. oh yeah no that that you're right that was a good one and we should have gotten it right away but so um explain well, why'd you pick that number three percent output per hour that's the annualized uh growth for q4
3: 2022 that was strong um it had been it had been very weak by, uh, last year overall, right? Um, but that boost in productivity growth—that's a very positive sign. That you know that gives us a chance to uh, get through this with just a slow session uh, versus a reset, right? We need that type of productivity growth, and that can help to justify some of the higher uh, wages we have. So, if that is true and that su- is sustained, that that bodes well for the future. The uh, if you. The 500K of employment, though, would right, uh, work against that, right? If we're adding a lot of people, well, you don't expect to add a lot of output, right? That could reverse things. So yet another reason perhaps uh, to be cautious when looking at that uh, 500K number. But yeah. three, 3% three uh, productivity growth, again, very strong. I, th- I think that's too strong. I don't think that's trend, right? Uh, but it is a very positive sign after a long period of a very weak and negative productivity growth.
2: And that that positive number kept it above the pre-pandemic trend. It looked like it might crash below the pre-pandemic trend, and that kept it above, you know, if only by a little bit. So that's obviously a positive too.
0: Yeah, I think we were talking about this uh, with uh, Jason Furman when he was on the podcast. I guess that was last week or the week before. And uh, he was pointing out that average annual non-farm business productivity growth since the pandemic hit is 1.5% per annum. And that's exactly equal to uh, the non-farm business uh, productivity growth in the three years prior to the pandemic. So it's been three years since the pandemic hit. In that three years, it's been one and a half percent. In the prior three years, it was one and a half percent. So it feels like pretty strong uh, evidence that underlying productivity growth, abstracting from the ups and the downs and all arounds in this data is one and a half percent. That's what it feels like.
2: I think that's the hope, but yeah, I mean you're right. You had yeah. this huge spike and then you've had this big decline, and then yeah, the first reading where it looks like maybe it's starting to stabilize. So yeah, because
0: yeah. you're you're in the one percent camp. We're going back to one percent or something, as I recall.
2: Maybe not all the way to one, but I think I'm in the below yeah. sort of one and a half camp where I thought the, yeah. the data we've seen recently is more telling than just volatility.
0: Right, right. Okay. But um yeah. okay, that was a good one. That was a really good one. Um okay, I've uh mine, you ready? Uh ready. I'm not sure whether this is hard or easy. I think it might be on the hard side, but it's important. It's uh, two statistics related of 4% and 3.7%. 4% and
1: 3.7%. Are these unemployment rates? No. Oh, they're, they're wage Yes. growth rates over the year.
0: Not over the year
2: annualized
0: growth rates so which three months w- w- annual what, wage, what wages are we talking about
1: mm-hmm.
0: well there's you can spit it out ECI ECI employment cost index is it is your
1: it, is it your wage and salary private workers X incentive occupation it is
0: indeed uh. very good which one which <laughs> one is which of those four to three or three point seven is that do you think
2: that's four
0: no, yes, it's three point so seven. It's, it's three point seven. It was one or the other. And this yeah. is
1: and this is what annualized over the past three months. Yeah, annualized okay. in
0: the in the fourth quarter. So, in the fourth quarter. Okay. Yep. yep. And what's the four percent? So the three point seven is total private industry workers' wages and salaries, excluding incentive pay, which I'll come back and explain to everybody why that's important. But uh, what's the four? Total comp annualizes. Yeah, total total uh, ECI total comp. That's wages, salaries, benefits, the whole shoot and match across all workers, all civilian workers. So four percent annualized, and this is this is the employment cost index. It's the best measure of wages we have because it controls for the mix of occupations and industries uh, in the labor in the labor market. It's the reason why we don't focus on it is uh, you know often is because it's quarterly data. It only comes out once a quarter, not every month. And we just got that data for the fourth quarter of last year uh, this week. And I took a lot of comfort in that uh, data. Top line ECI employment cost index across all workers grew 4% analyzed in the quarter. Now, you know, you can't uh, put too much weight on any given quarter, but it, uh, and if you look at it year over year, it's still 5% year over year, but it definitely feels like it's moving in the right direction here. And then the, if i the, the the one measure in the eci report that i think is most representative of underlying wage of underlying labor market pressures and and uh, uh, wage growth is wages and salaries for private industry workers excluding incentive pay so you don't want to include you know pay for you know sales bonuses and that kind of thing and that came in in a uh, quarter to quarter fourth quarter annualized at 3.7% and I, you know, I took a again year over year. It's still elevated around five percent, but you know, it's coming in, you know, uh, and moving in the right direction. And it's you know very this this weakening that we're observing in wage growth, and you see it in the average hourly earnings data uh, that we just got uh, today as well, is consistent with the theory that uh, we've been talking about that the 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 surge in wage growth that we got back a year ago is more related to the jump in inflation expectations that occurred when Russia invaded Ukraine and we saw this spike in energy, oil, gasoline prices, food prices, and, and less with the tightness in the labor market. You know, the labor market is tight, 3.4% unemployment, but it's not, you know, that that's kind of sort of where the unemployment rate was pre-pandemic and we didn't have extraordinarily strong wage growth. And we thought, you know, labor market was, you know, tight, but it wasn't overly tight. And this would suggest that that's the case here. I mean, if, 3.4% was the problem, then wage growth would not be decelerating here. It would be accelerating and it's decelerating. And that's consistent with the theory that, well, now the the worst of the fallout from the Russian invasion is behind us. Uh, prices of Oil prices have come in, gasoline prices have come in, inflation expectations have, have uh, come in, and wage growth is moderating uh, consistent with that. So I take a you know a lot of solas in that, and of course, uh, that's what the this Fed is most focused on right now, right? It's it's the cost of services, excluding housing, because and uh, uh, they're focused uh, on that because that's what they they feel like they can have some impact on with with interest rates affecting the labor market wage growth, and these industries are obviously very, very labor intensive, and and price increases in those industries are tied back to to, to the cost of labor. So, uh, you know, if I add that all up, I, I, it just feels like, uh, you know, consistent with the story, the narrative that, the, you know, we can get inflation back in the bottle without having to experience a significant decline in employment or a big increase in unemployment. Now, that was a long soliloquy, uh, I think, based in data. Uh, what do you think? Uh, that, does that resonate? I know I've said that a few times doesn't resonate but I I, I need I need confirmation from my from my guys my team that I'm on the right track here. What do you think? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I think if there's something you're going to hang your hat on here, you know, is is wage growth, right? I mean, obviously you, you know, if you you want to discount the strength in job growth and assume that that's going to sort of get washed away in the numbers, but you know, if you see wage growth continuing to come in, I think that's even more important than job growth moderating sort of as quickly as we might have wanted it to. So, yeah, I would agree with that.
0: What do you think, Chris? I mean, that's kind of sort of not exactly how you're, you know, you, you would yeah. frame it, but yeah. You know, what do you think?
3: Oh, uh, I think that's the, I think that's the goal. That's the, the goal. Reasonable yeah. path, right? Um, my fear, as usual, is that there's still some other shock to, to you yeah. know, occur here, or the Fed is going to be stubborn, right, and wait too long to adjust. So. Yeah, but otherwise, okay. I, I agree. Those, those data points are pointing in the right direction.
0: Yeah. Marissa?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right about inflation expectations, both coming from market signals, but also consumers who've been much more pessimistic overall about the prospects of the economy and inflation. But even those have been getting better for the past few months. So I agree.
0: Okay. All right. Um, let's uh, uh, turn to listener questions. And this is a new feature of the podcast. We've tried this out a couple, three times. Uh, we'll give it another shot. And we've been collecting questions and please, listener, fire away. Uh, if you have questions you'd like to post to the group, please do. You know how to uh, get a hold of us through Twitter, LinkedIn, our websites, uh, uh, help economy uh, at moody's.com. Uh, uh, please feel free. Uh, but I'm in for this part of the podcast i'm gonna turn it to you marissa because i know you're the keeper of these questions and i should say uh none of correct me if i'm wrong Marissa. we have not seen these questions right these are
1: no you haven't
0: de novo okay so i so f- i have obviously you but, have okay but yeah you guys yeah. haven't yeah fire away
1: all right there's a lot of good ones um there's a uh, let me package a few of these because there's a lot of questions about the yield curve and the 10 year yield oh god and how should we interpret the 10 year
0: (laughs) 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 this is plaguing me this damn yield curve okay go ahead so
1: so uh, yeah i mean the question is uh, what's going on with the 10-year yield how do you interpret it how how can you understand the behavior right now of long rates.
0: Right, great, great question. Uh, Chris, do you wanna take a crack at that first? Or, I already did my soliloquy, I don't wanna give another one. I can do it, but uh, maybe you go first and I'll comment on what you say. This uh, is the yield sure. curve. Yeah, Sure. so what the is the curve, yield curve actually saying here, Chris?
3: The yield curve is saying recession risk is oh. elevated. Okay right? right. The difference between the 10-year treasury and the two-year treasury, or the 10-year and the three-month treasury, or your favorite, I guess, is the uh, 10-year versus the Fed funds rate, all deeply inverted at this point.
0: The short-term rates are higher than long rates inverted. And historically, when that happens, recessions follow. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So So you're uh, saying just take a take this literally if take it at a face value well, you just look we, at the correlation? take it at face value should we take the yield curve at face value
3: i think that would be the the uh, a good starting point right <laughs> if if something has happened uh, if it, something has been a good predictor uh in the past right the onus is on suggesting why it's different uh this time or what what are the conditions that make it
0: un- unreliable uh this go around yeah Okay, that's fair, and I'm going to do that in just a second. Well, Mark can do that. Right? (laughs) Yeah, I can. I can do that. I can do that. And by the way, you're right. I mean, I think this is one reason why the majority of economists that forecast for a living think recession because they are looking at so-called leading indicators, and this the yield curve, the shape of the yield curve, the inversion of the yield curve is a very prescient leading indicator. You know, it has done a good job, and so that. Really influences, I think, the way people, economists in general, are thinking about this. Uh, One point to make is historically, the lead time between an inversion of the curve and a recession is a long time. It's twelve to eighteen months. So the curve, at least the, the, I guess the ten-year, two-year curve, inverted probably what in six months ago or so. So that would suggest Uh, Independence Day, right? Was that? July. Oh, was it July 4th? Yeah, it July. Oh, it was right July 4th. There. Oh, okay. Early that's July. good. Uh, that's a good way to remember it. So that would suggest again, face value, literal interpretation, recession, second half of this year, maybe going into 2024 or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um Dante or Marissa, do you want it before I jump in here? Is there anything you wanted to say about I know what you're going
1: to say. And yeah. I okay. You
0: go for it. Really. Okay. <laughs> well, I take a couple things. First thing I'd say is the other financial market leading indicators don't seem to be signaling recession. The, the yield curve is incongruous with the equity market. The stock market fell in the first half of 2021, mm-hmm. but since then it's been basically going sideways. And that decline in the beginning of 2021 is all around interest rates. That's when the Fed started to jack up rates and pr- PE multiples the multiples stock prices over corporate earnings fell so that that correction had nothing to do with any expectation about corporate earnings or the economy because if you look at analyst expectations forecasts they are still positive they're not negative
1: which yeah you but,
0: would, oh, oh sorry Go ahead. Oh, oh oh just let me finish on that one and <laughs> then the second one and then you, then you can push back because then we'll, we'll move on but the second is the corporate credit spreads I mean you know if investors were nervous about recession they would be saying oh we're going to see corporate defaults or we're going to see businesses corporations not being able to pay back on their debt in a timely way and i demand a higher interest rate on that debt to compensate for that risk and so you would see yields on corporate debt rise relative to risk free rates like the 10 year yield and that that definitely has not happened that 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 difference in yield is unchanged so okay so what do i have wrong there chris in in terms of the way i frame that
3: well equity mark you know there's the old quip what is it the stock market has predicted 11 of the last six recessions right so yeah yeah so it goes, up, not, it goes down yeah it's not right. a very reliable indicator versus the yield curve itself which is has been has much better track record in terms of uh recessions you yeah. do make a good point about the um the spreads but uh but i, I one way to interpret that would be okay yeah. um there could may still be a high probability of recession, but the severity of that recession uh, seems to be almost universal. The consensus is that uh, a recession, if it does happen, is unlikely to be very severe or, or prolonged. So, from that standpoint, the
0: chances of corporate defaults may be still pretty muted. Okay. Okay. Second thing I'd say is the yield curve isn't foolproof, right? I mean, it did invert prior to the pandemic recession. It in are we saying that it predicted the pandemic? <laughs> it, oh, who knows? You
3: uh, were no, calling I don't think we're for saying a recession that in twenty twenty. It did predict the conditions for recession. Perhaps. No, I was.
0: I was. I was. That was in jest. Our forecast never had a recession, in it, right? I mean, never had. It was the economy was weak because we had the trade wars. Uh, you know, and parts of the economy were contracting, like uh, agriculture, manufacturing was contracting. So you're saying we don't know the conference. counterfactual, therefore it could have been right. We could have gone into recession in 2020 without the pandemic. Correct. Okay. That feels like a stretch, but okay. But it's a All signal. Right. It's not causality, right? Okay. Just well, because it inverts doesn't mean, yeah
3: isn't causing the recession. It's just a signal.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let me give you, then now let's turn to the yield curve. It, it, it looks, feels like we're only going to get to one question because <laughs> 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 that was a doozy, uh, but- uh if i turn to the yield curve as a as a predictor and you're saying okay why would this time be different why wouldn't the yield curve be a good predictor this go around compared to times past I, i'd throw a couple things out there first uh, uh quantitative easing the the fed has bought a lot of treasury securities and mortgage backed securities taking those out of the The bond market. They've taken duration out, so called duration out of the bond market. And, you know, the estimates suggest that, you know, that is having some meaningful impact on long term interest rates relative to short term interest rates. A lot of debate as to how much, but that could be, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 basis points. That's 0.5 percentage points. So the yield curve is was flatter coming into this than in a tip, you know this period than it typically would be because of the QE the buying that the Fed did now it's QTing now meaning it's allowing the securities to wind down but what really matters for interest rates long term rates is the stock of debt treasury bond securities that the Fed holds on its balance sheet and that's still very very large i think it's I'm making this up, but eight, eight and a half trillion, four, four and a half trillion above what it was pre-pandemic. So that's one thing to consider that this time feels different. Second is forward guidance. The Federal Reserve is being extraordinarily clear about, you know, what it's going to do with, uh, you know, policy here. You know, it's it's trying to uh, tell markets exactly where it's going. And markets know that uh, given inflation is going to come in, You know, here uh, one way or the other, and that you know, in if you look out into the future, the the funds rate is going to be settling around two and a half percent. You know, that's kind of the uh, what people think, we think, uh, the Fed thinks is kind of the long run equilibrium yield. So, the amount of guidance the Federal Reserve is getting giving to bond investors today is extraordinary. It's just more than it ever has in the past. I mean, over the years, it's gotten more transparent and provided more guidance. But, you know, what it's been doing in the current period is just, you know, very different than what, what it's done in the past. And let me give you a third uh, reason why this time might be different. This does go to, you know, p- potentially there is some causality here. You know, the, the you know, the, the yield curve is not only a predictor of recession, but it influences the environment and creates the fodder for recession because, if you look historically in the good times b- uh, before recession, and they're generally boom times when the economy's operating at a very high level, people are taking a lot of risk, borrowing a lot of money, credit's really flowing, uh, banking systems providing, financial systems providing a lot of credit. And then when the curve inverts, when the Fed steps on the brakes and the curve inverts, it, it, those financial institutions, those banks can't make money anymore because you know they borrow short, at short-term funding rates, and they lend long at higher rates. And when the curve inverts, they can't. That spread turns negative, and they can't. Their net interest margin, you know, vanishes. They can't make money, so they step. They stop lending. They tighten down on credit very aggressively, which matters a lot in most times historically because those folks that borrowed a lot of money in the boom times need the money in in the tough times. They got to refinance, but particularly businesses. They say, "Hey, I got to refinance this debt. I can't pay you back." but they can't afford the terms and the interest rates when uh, you get into uh, a world of, uh, of uh, an inverted curve and a negative net interest margin. That matters a lot less in the current period because uh, because we never saw that rapid credit growth you know, that you typically do coming into a recession, probably because we're on the flip side of the financial crisis and live through a credit crunch. And so we didn't see a lot of credit growth. Even if you look at the amount of debt that businesses need to refinance in 2023 going to 24, it's actually quite low. I mean, either bonds or, or loans. So that causal link between the shape of the yield curve and the recession is, is, is not evident today. It's certainly not to the degree that it has been historically. So there's a three reasons why, uh, this time may be different. You know, that the yield curve isn't as prescient, uh, as it has been historically, uh, I'll, I'll stop there. I said a lot. Uh, curious as to your reaction in those, uh, in those, in, in what I said just there. All, all that's reasonable. you, Chris. <laughs> that's for <laughs> okay. me. All reasonable. All reasonable. I'd, all reasonable? I'd, even, okay.
3: I'd even throw out another one. Oh, okay. Uh, go ahead. Which would be, to support that view? Which would be why is it so U.S. centric, right? If you go to other countries around mm-hmm. the globe, you don't see the yield curve having this uh, predictive uh, ability. So uh, that would suggest that you know it isn't causal and there very well could be these other reasons. I guess what gives me pause is just the extent of the inversion now, right? So you're right. These other factors could, uh, could make a difference, could lessen the importance, but uh,
0: it's just so deeply inverted. I have a hard time giving it up. (laughs) You know, can I just throw out one other thing? And and this is a work in progress in my mind. As I said earlier, this is plaguing me. I'm plagued by this thing, this question. Uh, If you look at the, the inversion of the curve since independence day of last year uh, most of that decline has been related to particularly if you look at 10 versus two year most of that inversion is related to a decline in the 10-year yield and if you uh not an increase in the two-year yield that had already happened so and if you look at the 10-year yield and and decompose that decline into you know what is behind that it, it's one of three things it's lower inflation expectations a shift in expectations around the real after-inflation federal funds rate target. And the third is the term premium. I'm not going to go into any of this because this, we need a whole podcast. And Maybe I should get Campbell Harvey on. He's the professor from, I think he's at Duke, who popularized this measure as a leading indicator so we can have this conversation in depth. But the most of the decline in the 10-year and therefore most of the decline and most of the inversion of the curve that we observe is a, is a a is a move in the term premium from positive to negative. And that that's not consistent, I don't think, with recession. If it were recession, that would be around inflation expectations or around mostly around the real federal fund rate target. And I don't think that's the case. But just throwing it out there, fodder for you know future research is a work in progress. I you know I'm not sure uh, exactly but why all those that's things are, the case. Are
3: difficult to measure, right? Even having inflation that? expectations,
0: right? So it's all, yeah. I use, it's yeah. All you're fuzzy, right. right. There's <laughs> measurement <laughs> issues. Yeah. Exactly. Decomposing is not easy. That's right. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's very true. Okay, that was a great question, <laughs> <for some. laughs> uh, and I, and I think we've, we maybe we'll hold the other ones for for the next round because uh, that was uh, that was a really good one. Um, I do want to quickly end because uh, this is getting as I as I want to say long in the tooth this podcast. So very quickly, uh, just to because we've been ending this way for these podcasts now for the better part of, uh, last six months or so, what's the probability of recession in the next 12, 18 months, let's say going into 2024 NBER defined national Bureau of economic research, broad-based persistent decline in activity. That's the definition of recession. Uh, uh, what's the probability and how has that changed, uh, over the last week, two weeks, whatever. So Dante, what's your probability of recession?
2: So I think last time I was on, I was at 50%, and I'm, I'm going to stay. If I, before this morning, I, I was considering edging a bit lower than that, but I think I'm going to stay at 50, given, given the report today.
0: Cautious man. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yep. Uh, uh, Marissa?
1: Wait, so the strong jobs report makes you think that there's a greater probability of recession because you think the Fed will just keep hammering?
2: Yeah, I think it just raises the and risk. And overdo to, it. Might, yeah. Uh, yeah. Might, yeah, you know, maybe things will reverse next month, and
1: you know there won't be an issue. Yep. At all. Um I'm still at 50%. fifty percent. Fifty. Yeah,
0: and uh, that them. hasn't changed that much. Well, you no, but, you, but I would, you came I would, down would, earlier, but now you're you have that hasn't changed for a while.
1: Yeah, and I would say I was, I'm becoming more. Um, it's more of a soft fifty than a hard fifty. You know, I'm 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 thinking the risks are more to. The downside than to the upside on the probability of recession now what, is, what does that 50.
0: mean lower probability or like i think
1: yeah like my bias would be that it's
0: Below under 50. 50 yeah it's 45 to 50 something yeah like that. okay okay good so you're 50 with an arrow pointed down
3: mm-hmm.
0: got it chris what's your uh probability
3: you know the uh groundhog saw its shadow so uh, <laughs> it did i
0: didn't did. know that
3: oh well, that's, that's a data point that came out this week.
0: That's a good leading indicator, <laughs> I think.
3: So, uh, Kind of like
0: the yield curve, I'd say. <laughs>
3: uh, apparently, the groundhog's been right 69% of the time. So yeah.
0: there you go. Better <laughs> than uh,
3: most economists.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and when, what is it? And happening? 60%. I'm going to
3: nudge my probability down to 60% oh. from two thirds. Hold it, oh. wait. Yeah. Big, 66 big move.
0: 66 down to 60.
3: Yes. Ooh, interesting. And, but the uh, but it's really around the timing, right? What does that mean? That I, I still am very uh, pessimistic, but or somewhat pessimistic. But uh,
0: in 2100, is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, it might be in, into 2024. <laughs> right? Okay, yeah, okay, I, all right, fair enough. That, that's not that's not unreasonable. Maybe we should start saying. Recession probability in 2023 and recession probability in 2024, because you know that's that may be an important distinction. So we'll start doing that in the future. But you're saying over the next 12-18 months, you're down to 60 percent. Right. Got it. Okay. I'm still at 50 with a down arrow. I'm with I'm with Marissa, and I do I will point out that um, uh, we run this uh, same question at our macro meeting with all our economists, and. Uh, the the group is moving in the same direction. This group is, if you go back, I think it was in November, that was the, at the height of the angst around recession. I think the group was uh, close to a uh, 70% probability of recession. It's now down, down to below 50. It's at 47%. So the group has gotten more, more optimistic here, but, uh, but uh, great. Well, that was very good. Uh, well, uh, anything else? um i know it was hard on everyone i apologize for that uh i was on a, a little bad mood because of the numbers i was i had written all these tweets under the assumption that this would be down the fairway kind of report and then i had to rewrite all my tweets so i was in a in a pretty bad mood you know coming into this so i apologize if i was too hard on anybody but uh no you're you're all good with that okay good all right well that with that we're going to call this a podcast uh dear listener we'll talk to you next week take care now